0: we are involved in another campaign that we do is we're anti-fur trade and anti-trapping within the United States. And so we have been involved in coalitions that are just focused on passing an ordinance in a city that would ban the sale of fur, for example, at all retail stores, uh, the sale of new fur. So that's just something else that we, it's a small step, but if we can get as many cities, as many counties as we can to ban the sale of fur, then, of course, the overall demand for that would decrease. And that's the overall goal.
1: Hi, everyone. Welcome to Now Boarding, a new travel podcast by me, Pyle Nair. This show aims at creating awareness about ecotourism, sustainable tourism, responsible travel, and a lot more. We will cover stories and journeys of people who are ecotourism specialists and those who are leaders in their field. We will also be talking to people who have had unique travel experiences, remarkable conceptual places to stay, unexplored cultures and ancient histories of various towns and cities around the world. Join me in this journey of knowing more about travel. Get inspired to see the world and discover your inner self. Hi everyone, today I am in conversation with Devon Shoey. Devon works as a campaigns associate with Bond Free USA, which is a nonprofit, and the vision of Bond Free is for there to be a co-existent future where humans no longer exploit wild animals. And Devon's role is to increase public awareness on pertinent wildlife conservation issues with the goal of changing legislation regarding practices that harm wild animals kept in captivity. So thank you so much for for talking to me today, Devon.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me.
1: So let's kickstart the conversation by getting a little bit about your background um, and your expertise in the field of wildlife conservation. How is it that you actually got into it?
0: Sure. So I always knew I wanted to work in some capacity with animals. And I initially was interested in individual animal welfare of wild animals in captivity. I initially began researching um, during my undergraduate time where I was majoring in animal behavior. And it was very psychology-focused, very behaviorism-focused. And my first independent research project there was focusing on leopard geckos and whether the presence of environmental enrichment helped reduce the occurrence of stereotypes or the abnormal repetitive behaviors we see wild animals demonstrate when they're under excessive stress or they may be experiencing boredom. So it was really one of the first studies that looked at this in reptiles um, because reptiles have been largely very ignored from, from the animal welfare discussion in general. That initial project really opened my eyes in terms of the frequency of stereotypies occurring across most if not all wild animal species kept in captivity, just through the research that I did for that project in particular, it really solidified the fact that wild animals, if most of them experience these atypical behaviors and atypical diseases and mental conditions in captivity, and we don't necessarily see the same things in the wild, the same struggles, the same issues, that to me was pointing to a red flag in that maybe we shouldn't be having these animals in captivity in an environment that causes the expression of these really problematic behaviors and experiences in wild animals. So that got my wheels turning and thinking about how I can marry the two concepts of animal welfare and broader wildlife conservation and helping keep wild animals where they belong, which is in the wild. After I graduated from that program, I stumbled upon Born Free USA. And I my first job with this organization was as a primate caregiver at the sanctuary. Born Free USA operates out of South Texas. And we rescue all different kinds of primates. We rescue primates from zoos, from biomedical research, and also from being kept as pets. So we have a lot of primates with very traumatic experiences and that made me feel like I was really helping on an individual level. It was very rewarding, very fulfilling line of work, but I still wanted to attack those root causes of why these primates are ending up at sanctuaries or they're being abandoned or they're being seized by animal control because they attacked someone. So I really wanted to get back to that root issue of why is the exotic pet trade legal? How can we change that in the United States? And luckily, a job opened up with Born Free USA still. I was able to stay with Born Free USA and go into my role as a campaigns associate and work on those larger sort of policy legislation-based issues in my current role here.
1: You mentioned that it's legal. So what are the legal frameworks or regulations regarding the captivity of wild animals and do they really prevent
0: exploitation? Uh short answer is no, <laughs> they don't. <laughs> we just don't have enough or as a legislation that is effective in the way that it would prevent exploitation of wild animals. So we have a lot of different regulating bodies and legislation in the United States that pertains to wild animal ownership and practices with wild animals. So the first, the pieces of federal legislation that we have are the Animal Welfare Act, which aims to regulate the treatment of animals and the conditions in which they're kept to avoid instances of abuse and neglect. But this piece of legislation only covers quote, warm blooded animals. So it still leaves out animals like reptiles and animals like fish. So those animals are essentially not included in that piece of legislation, which is really problematic. Similarly, we have the Lacey Act, which aims to regulate the illegal trade of animals and plants. And then we also have the United States as a member of CITES, which is the Convention on the International Trade of Endangered Species. So that is essentially a treaty that countries can opt in to participate in this agreement, where based on a species status as a a threatened species in terms of being endangered towards the point of extinction. The countries agree to terms that would allow or not allow those species to be traded between countries and imported and exported to try to control the frequency of that to hopefully preserve their conservation in the wild. And then in terms of regulating bodies, we have the USDA, which is the United States Department of Agriculture, and the animal plant and health inspection services unit, which that body is uh, responsible for performing inspections in the places that have licenses to have animals, wild animals. So that's places that conduct research with animals or places that use wild animals for entertainment like zoos or circuses. So all of those facilities would fall under the supervision of the USDA. They would be doing things like annual inspections to make sure that facilities are upholding certain standards. But we find that the demand is so high that inspections and follow through enforcement, if someone is doing something that's not right, it just falls through the cracks. And so the animals end up suffering as a result. And the last piece of that, and it's already a lot of different things happening at one time. The last piece is that While we do have federal legislation that needs to be upholded in all states across the country, we also have individual state legislation and even individual county or city legislation that can be different from the larger state legislation, which differs widely based on what animals they allow people to privately own or interact with. So even within a state, you can have different laws dictating what is or is not allowed with certain animal species or which species. Which
1: may not align Mm -hmm. with the federal laws.
0: Yeah, in some circumstances, yes. So that's why we at Born Free, we try to campaign as much as we can for federal legislation, because that way we can eliminate the issue of different states having different legislation, which is very problematic. Yeah, that's like a very brief (laughs) summary of all of the moving parts.
1: (laughs) So how do you raise public awareness? I know it's very important to do that. Public awareness towards exploitation of wild animals. How do you, I'm sure as an organization, uh, there must be ways in which you do that. And Can you also uh, talk a little bit about some community-led projects that you may have had where there has been a positive change and impact and how there has been awareness? Because I think it's very important to, with smaller communities especially, to get them to have a better understanding of the welfare of animals and how to prioritize that. If there are some examples of how you do this as an organization, I think that would be great.
0: Yeah, absolutely. In terms of generating more awareness about topics that we want the public to know more about, we use social media a lot to try to tackle that misinformation that is out there about wild animal ownership and the representation of wild animals on social media that can be very problematic. The sort of glorification of owning wild animals as pets is a very common thing to see and we're trying to work against people feeling like that is normalized and safe and an okay thing to do. Social media is one tool that we'll use. We also will write reports and produce things like short documentaries and more digestible pieces for policymakers or lawmakers that would be responsible for uh, changing legislation that's currently in place. So that's something that we also really prioritize, just to make sure that we're getting our message across to people that can actually make a difference. And then I think in terms of examples of us doing these things, one thing that comes to mind is our involvement with coalitions. So just groups of multiple organizations that are interested in the same thing in terms of animal welfare and getting certain legislation passed and enacted into law. So we've been on a number of coalitions. I I just
1: wanted to interrupt here. So coalitions Mm -hmm. would be only within the U.S. or are you also looking at countries outside of the U.S.? Because I think it's it's a global issue, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. And there are a ton of the same issues, especially with uh, the exotic animal trade uh, overseas as well. And that's also where a lot of these exotic animal species are coming from. So it's really important for us to collaborate with those countries to try to tackle it at the root. Yeah, we're involved with global coalitions. One that we're a part of is the Social Media Animal Cruelty Coalition, which is founded out of the Asia for Animals Uh, foundation. And so we're involved with at least 20 other organizations in that specific organization alone, which is really focused on combating the exploitation and cruelty of wild animals that we see on social media and um, creating a dialogue with social media platforms like Meta, like TikTok to help them understand the importance of regulating this content more and also removing this content that is harmful to wild animals. Um, And then just another smaller example on like a smaller scale, we are involved in another campaign that we do is we're anti-fur trade and anti-trapping within the United States. And so we have been involved in coalitions that are just focused on passing an ordinance in a city that would ban the sale of fur, for example, at all retail stores, uh, the sale of new fur. So that's just something else that we, it's a small step, but if we can get as many cities, as many counties as we can to ban the sale of fur, then of course the overall demand for that would decrease. And that's the overall goal.
1: In terms of the listeners and the viewers, what are some of your ideas and suggestions on? Because I think you're obviously looking at it on a much larger scale, but individually, how can people make an impact and a positive change when it comes to how they support ethical means and ways of conservation?
0: Sure. I think it's a great question because I really do want to emphasize that while our ultimate goal is getting things done at the federal level, the national level, I really want to stress that individual person can also make a difference. It's really important. Just simply doing things, not supporting facilities or businesses that exploit wild animals would be a huge first step. For example, choosing not to visit zoos or aquariums that keep wild animals for purposes of human entertainment that would be a massive first step just decreasing the demand for places that use animals in that way would be really amazing and then we always say to just in terms of increasing that public education around why keeping wild animals in, in captivity is is problematic i think is also really important so we always encourage people to share our resources with anyone that they can just to help spread the data to try to counter that misinformation that is out there on the internet. That's huge. And then if you do go on our website, bornfreeusa.org, we have an action center, which actually has uh, several petitions that we have started that any person can add their name to super easy, very quick. And it's on a large variety of topics that involve wild animals. But just one that we've done recently is to ban touch tanks at aquariums for AZA facilities to ban the practice of those because they have no conservation benefits, no education benefits, and they're actually very harmful to the animals that are involved. So just looking at those petitions, adding your name to ones that speak to you, that would also be incredibly helpful.
1: So what are some of the endangered species within the U.S.?
0: There's a lot, but We really do focus on the animals that are being imported a lot of the time for the exotic pet trade. Animals that used to have a lot issues were big cats, but we actually recently passed a a law in 2022, the Big Cat Public Safety Act, which bans the ownership and private interaction with most big cat species. That was amazing because that will decrease the number of cubs that go into the cub petting practice, for example. So that was really huge. And the other species that are very commonly kept in the United States as exotic pets are lots of primate species, lots of bird species, like parrots, parakeets. We are starting to see a lot of wolf dog hybrids. So wolves would be an example of an animal that is native to the the United States. And people are not understanding that if the wild animal is combined with a domestic animal, the domestic dog, they automatically think that animal will be tame, will be some higher level of domesticated, but that's just not the case. That's not really how it works genetically yeah. <laughs> um, or behaviorally. Yeah, those would be the main animals that we are seeing in addition to a lot of reptiles. So we see issues with invasive species like uh, boa constrictors, That people import from elsewhere, or they're captively bred in the United States and then sold as pets. And people don't understand how large they get, how financially expensive they get, how much time they take to take care of. So, people, we see more and more people are releasing these animals just into their backyard. And in places like Florida, we have self sustaining and growing populations of animals like boa constrictors, which are out-competing our native species. So it's really creating problems from pretty much any angle that you look at it. Yeah.
1: So no, I think what Born Free USA is attempting to do is very, not too many people look at the importance of animal welfare. And it's like you've mentioned, it's a lot of the animals are now exploited for entertainment. And it's such a it's so common for people to have just like a small aquarium in their home. And we don't realize that, and a lot of people say it's because of fish being very therapeutic, or there are all sorts of reason reasoning behind it. But how much do they survive in? not natural habitat is something which people don't really so they're more concerned about themselves rather than the well-being of in, in this case fish so you're absolutely right and I think the more you're able to create public awareness and the more you're able to help not just the U.S. but conversations as you've mentioned with other parts of the world as well for example in asia there's so much wildlife and there's a lot of conservation efforts which i know i've been talking to a lot of people through my podcast and it's incredible to see but then i think the number of people who are passionate about it and who really want to make a difference needs to increase in order for there to be a larger impact so I think what you're doing is incredible, and I I really appreciate all your hard work. And thank you so much for having this conversation with me from Austin, Texas. And (laughs) there is conversations like, I do a lot of interviews where my guests are in different parts of the world especially in the us or europe and and it's it's interesting how the time difference and all of that doesn't really matter because at the end of the day what's important is the impact through these conversations. absolutely yes i really appreciate your time and and all the good work being done by your organization and by you so thank you so much Devon I really enjoyed
0: talking to you thank you so much same here and I'll have to read listen to more of your podcast (laughs) after doing this one I'll have to see what (laughs) you've been talking to
1: (laughs) great yeah I've been talking to a lot of um, wildlife conservationists I've been talking to wildlife photographers I I talk about sustainability There's quite a few interesting conversations, which, yeah, really, um, I'd be happy if you listen to them. And if there's any way in which uh, these conversations can also help you or you get to know Mm -hmm. more people who are involved in this from the year. I'm sure. would Would be great. Absolutely. Hope you enjoyed this episode of Now Boarding, a travel podcast. Check out other episodes on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you listen to podcasts. And of course, don't forget to share your thoughts with us. Stay tuned for more exciting episodes only on Now Boarding, a travel podcast.